0: Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School, in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Happy New Year. Welcome to another series of the Passball Shows, which we will, you will find at least for the immediate future on Thursday and Saturday mornings throughout the year of 2021. Of course, we got The Top 100 Offensive Position Players in Baseball History book, which we hope to have published sometime around the start of the baseball season. Um, Thinking of trying to top the year of 2020, we did a recap show to kind of celebrate the 70 shows of the PBS and its takes. We're hoping to build up a new series of takes as we start this year. And as always, anything that's on your mind, in the world of baseball sports and Unifying America, just chime in. So I was thinking about the CFB, BCS, whatever you want to call it, the college football playoff. And you do have two of the more illustrious and successful college football programs in the history of the sport, playing for the national championship a week from Monday. Ohio State did their job beating a tough Clemson team in a game they end up pulling away. Justin Fields looks like he kind of reemerged himself as one of the top quarterbacks that are going to be available in this year's NFL draft. You got the Alabama program, which, in all seriousness, we've, we've watched Alabama win a lot in the decade of the 2010s. They won, what, four national championships in that time, also won in 2009, all under head coach Nick Saban, This program that's set up right now, this squad, might very well be the best Alabama team that, you know, we've seen in this run. Now, does it mean that it's a a Bear Bryant team? Is it as good as that 1992 team with Gene Stallings as the coach? I mean, obviously, Alabama has got 22 national championships. So where would this one rank amongst the best of all time? Well, first of all, they got to get the job done. You know, if they lose to Ohio State, then, you know, maybe maybe I'm overrating or overblowing this team a little bit, making them a little bit better than what they really are. But this Alabama team's strong. You're going to see players be drafted in the next year's NFL draft that are going to come out of Alabama, just like most years. But I really do think that this is a team that I'd be shocked if, if they lost to Ohio State. That being said, you know, Ohio State has had to deal with a lot of problems. From the coronavirus to having the Big Ten suspending its operations and canceling its season. And then to decide at the last minute that they're going to play some games. And then games getting suspended and canceled because of the coronavirus. And coming into the, the CFB playoffs with only six wins. Six and zero, you know, this isn't, you know, 18, you know, 96 Penn, Princeton. You know, this is, it, it's kind of weird that you're talking about a team that only played six games playing in the, you know, what's the equivalent of the college football playoffs. Now, Ohio State, I think they have a chance. I think some of the things you heard coming into this game, and obviously they, they beat Notre Dame good. And I don't think I don't think too many people were sh- were shocked. I'm sorry, Clemson. They beat Clemson pretty good, and you know, Clemson was a team that I thought was the favorite. So Ohio State really did prove something with the victory that they had they had in the game. But do I think that they can go toe to toe with Alabama? Some discussion was, hey, they got a little more rest. They haven't played as many games, so maybe that gives them a little more energy. I don't know. But one of the things that stood out was Ohio State kind of having their moment against Clemson. And I think Clemson coming into the game was probably the better football team. But sometimes you have enough of a squad that turns that that returns. And they're trying to get a little bit of revenge of something that happened the year before. And we know about the, uh, you know, bizarre events at the game of the, you know, the overturn of the call that would have given Ohio State the lead in the uh, in, in a playoff game last year. Clemson ends up winning 29-23. And the entire offseason, every player that's returning to Ohio State is thinking of Clemson. They're thinking about, are we going to be in a position to have a game against Clemson where we could avenge the loss that they had last year? And I think you saw some of that last night. I think you saw if you if you followed uh, the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks beating up on uh, the Miami Heat. Yes, it was a regular season basketball game, and you know the Mi- Miami Heat was at we out of it in the first quarter, second quarter. Uh, they're just playing out the string in this game, knowing that it's not a playoff game. But the Milwaukee Bucks are thinking all you know the, the last couple months. Since they got the chance to play the Miami Heat and the Heat knocked them out of the playoffs, and the Heat made it to the NBA Finals, the Bucks got a little bit of a revenge for one day. Now, obviously, the significance of Ohio State being Clemson, the you know that'll be the equivalent of the Bucks beating the Heat in the NBA playoffs this coming year. Now, what's weird about it, and it's maybe a little odd how I've tied the two together. You you have the the NBA, which is just up and starting after playing its playoffs and its finals just a couple months ago. So there really hasn't been that much time to really sit on how everybody's season ended that wasn't named the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers won the championship. Every other team that played in the bubble in Orlando in the playoffs is talking about how they lost. The Bucs are thinking about the heat. They get a chance to play them in a nationally televised game, and they, they whoop on them. You know, they beat them by, by, what, 47, 49 points, something like that. Now, obviously, it's not the revenge that the Bucs are looking for. The Bucks are looking to beat the Heat in the playoffs pretty similar to what Ohio State did to Clemson. And I think there really is something to that, that mantra or that way of thinking when you have something on your mind that is really digging at you, a team that beats you, a team that beats you in a close way a team that beat you in something that could have gone either way, it's natural that you're going to want to go out there and and get some revenge on them. And I think Ohio State did that against Clemson last night. So that's a good job. And you're looking at Ohio State, that's won 17 national championships, won in 2014 under Urban Meyer, 2002 under Jim Trestle, won a couple times with Woody Hayes, the legendary coach in 54 and 68. And Paul Brown, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, won a national championship there in 1942. Now, you look at Alabama and they they got the history. They are they're pretty much the New England Patriots of college football right now. Maybe not the New York Yankees, even though they do have 22 national championships. But if you're looking at, you know, the, the Ring of Honor. You know, whether it's the Boston Celtics, whether it's the Montreal Canadiens, whether it's if you want to go Green Bay Packers in the national football league. You know, Alabama is pretty much the cream of the cream. And a lot of it has to do with the five national championships that Bear Bryant won there. You got another. I'm sorry. Yeah. you got, So you got five with Nick Saban, five with Bear Bryant, kind of like the Yankees. Right. You think of Casey Stengel, you think of Joe McCarthy, you think of Joe Torrey. And listen, uh, this Alabama team, and I'll probably put some money on it. I wonder what the odds are. And I'll probably dig it up right here. Uh, Odds. and And I wish I had a little speaker thing that I could just call this in there. But we'll pop this up as I'm talking. And for those that are a fan of the basketball show that have seen it before, I absolutely suck at multitasking. So we're gonna see, we're gonna pop up odds. What is the line on the game? And we will see before some idiotic pop-up comes up because you know that's coming. La, 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 so we don't have it right now, but whatever. You know, Alabama should be favored in this game, and I think they will win. I'd be shocked if, if anything else happened otherwise. This copyright broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web, and solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the passball show, com and John P. LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge and admission for a show, is similarly prohibited. I want to throw this one pretty cool thing that we saw happen in the NBA last night. And it wasn't the first time that San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich was thrown out of a game, was ejected, was given his second technical and told to take a walk and take the rest of the night off. Obviously, we know Popovich is the longest serving NBA head coach in the sport right now. And who knows? He might he might be coaching for, for a long period of time down the road. He's won five NBA titles. He's going to be a lock to be in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. And his ejection yesterday allowed for something that we kind of touched on the 2020 year in review PBS the other day. Becky Hammond, the assistant head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, was actually the head coach. So after Popovich was ejected, he kind of passed the little, uh, what do did, what did they call it, the little uh, squeegee board where you write the X's and O's with the, the dark marker, passed it on to Becky Hammond, and Becky Hammond was the first female coach to actually be coaching an NBA basketball team in the history of the sport. And we spoke about the significance of the Miami Marlins hiring of Kim Eng, as their new general manager, the first female executive um, to hold a general manager, team president position in a history of pro sports. And I think down the road, there's going to be an NBA team that's going to hire Becky Hammond as a head coach. And I, I hope that it opens the door. You know, you think of the possibilities of women playing in sports. Uh, women leading sports. I think women, in, you know, can be executives. Women can do anything that uh, that men can do, and it, I think it's a great step. Like I said, Kim Ng getting a job with the Miami Marlins, which, by the way, that was long overdue. You're talking about an executive that, you know, basically hung around in organizations for years upon years upon years, worked with some of the best. You know, went down to the time with the Yankees with Brian Cashman and worked with the Dodgers. Uh, you know, for for years and you know, you think of the amount of different executives that have worked with her, and she is the one that is probably the most deserved, and not not the only one, but is certainly the most deserved of an opportunity to hold a position like that. And I hope the same happens for Becky Hammond. I hope you know if you think if you look kind of behind me. There's a picture of Lou Brock and Ernie Banks, and in the middle is Buck O'Neill. And Buck O'Neill's significance is kind of along the lines of Becky Hammond's. In other words, it's not officially official. Becky Hammond wasn't named the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, but she got to take over in a game because the head coach was ejected. Pretty similar to something that happened with the Chicago Cubs. In the 1960s, Buck O'Neill got to manage the Chicago Cubs, not officially, but first of all, he was the first black coach to be on a coaching staff for any team. And while the Chicago Cubs were going through a carousel in a college of managers, Buck O'Neill got a chance to manage a couple innings of a game when his manager was ejected. So I I do see some similarities there, something that's not gonna be officially in a record book, something you're not gonna be able to Google or look up or ask Alexa for, but it is just as significant. And we hope down the road that we could talk about, whether it's a Becky Hammond or another female basketball coach to be named a head coach in the NBA, because the NBA really is one of the poster childs for exclusion. You know, you got Black Lives Matter written on on the court. Uh, you really have a great, solid effort of unity amongst the sport. And why why not take it a step further? Now, what you want to make sure, and the same things, the same arguments could have been made years ago when people were were trying to exclude blacks, were trying to exclude uh, you know Latin American players, executives, human beings. there's going to be that question of can that person handle it and then you get to a certain point where it's so proven right in front of your face that that person can handle it and you start to question whether a person that's questioning whether they can handle it just has some sort of biasness or hatred or is against that particular faction and you're going to start to see that you're going to see people start to question well can a, women, a woman handle being a head coach in a National Basketball Association? Well, Becky Hammond has handled herself very well working for, like I mentioned in Greg Popovich, one of the best basketball coaches in the history of the National Basketball Association. I think she'd make a, a very good head coach. You're going to go as far as saying, oh, in the locker room. Well, you know what? Uh, odds are she's, she's been in a locker room before. And I haven't heard any player on the San Antonio Spurs complain about the fact that they have a female assistant coach now i as you, as you see in the year of 2020 i think one of the great things that has happened is you really are seeing you know unification amongst all people and people not being judged for whatever their differences are and you know when it comes to god god didn't create any of the differences that mankind has pointed out about each other and remember even even some of the you know biblical scriptures that we like to read and we like to assume are fact were written by men they weren't written by God now some of them you know if you look at the old testament you know it, it's it's basically different versions of what people saw in Jesus Christ himself but the other the other aspect of it is how people kind of look at ways that people have treated other people in other times and assume that it needs to stay the same and it really doesn't because when it comes down to it the creation by God of every human being that's out there is for all of us to have the same opportunities for all of us to be able to do the same thing and you know what if one person that looks like whatever that has whatever difference that you can point out there can do as good of a job, especially leading a squad, and this is what we're talking about now, we're talking about coaching, we're talking about being an executive in an organization uh, on, a, on a professional level, then why are we pointing out these differences? And I think it's a great opportunity, and, and listen, I hope I hope we find out next year, or this year, that Becky Hammond becomes an NBA head coach. Because I think if you're looking at you know analytics, if you're looking at the way the game is going... I think she, she'll, she'll end up doing a great job and hopefully the first step was done when Greg Popovich ends up getting to heave ho and he trusts enough in his assistant, a female, to run his basketball team. I mentioned earlier, talked a little bit about or spoke a little bit about Paul Brown. And Paul Brown brought a national championship to Ohio State in 1942. A couple of years later, he founded a football team that we're going to see this weekend playing for a chance to get in the playoffs for the first time in over a decade. But one of the franchises in the national football league that had an awful lot of success under Paul Brown. And we think of the Cleveland Browns and we think of Jim Brown, but before that there was Otto Graham as the quarterback and there was Paul Brown, the head coach. And you know what? Hopefully a couple people listening to the program today, can say this is the day that they learned that the Cleveland Browns were in fact named after Paul Brown. There's been some dispute over where the actual name came from, but there was a a Cleveland Panthers team that existed before the Cleveland Browns and Paul Brown is putting a team together uh, based off of a lot of players that he had play for him in his three college stops And they're starting this league called the All American Football Conference, getting ready for the 1946 season. They're trying to come up with a name for this team. It's going to be a Cleveland team. We know about the previous team that existed in the history of pro football that was called the Cleveland Panthers. Paul Brown says, I don't want to name this team the Panthers because the Panthers were known for losing. The Panthers didn't win anything, they weren't champions. We're not going to come up or we're not going to name a team after a team that wasn't successful. So they're they're starting to come up with these different ideas. Now, there was a champion out there, a champion boxer that Paul Brown admired, and his name was Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis was known as the Brown Bomber. Now, this does become kind of an urban myth kind of thing, something that over time uh, Paul Brown never kind of stood behind And later on in his life He kind of admits You know, we weren't really We weren't really named after Joe Lewis But it was inspirational You know, he, he wanted his team To be named after a winner And at that time, if you're thinking In the mid-1940s There wasn't anybody that could be Considered more of a winner Than Paul Brown uh, And Paul Brown becomes That winner based off of the legendary Joe Lewis and Joe Lewis is known as the Brown Bomber. Are they known as the Browns because of the Brown Bomber and Joe Lewis? The answer is probably no, but there's a good chance. And even though Paul Brown was modest about it and didn't want the team named after him, there's a very good chance. And in fact, we're, we're going on the probable status now, almost a fact that the Cleveland Browns are named after Paul Brown. Now, that team didn't disappoint. They went out there in a four years of the All-American Football Conference, which is considered a major league in regards to the history of the National Football League. And the Browns won the championship each one of those four years. Paul Brown is one of the greatest coaches in the history of professional sports. And, you know, when you go to JohnPielli.com, we got the rankings of the top head coaches of all time. Paul Brown is a little closer than you would think. I got Bill Belichick as number one, because it's really hard to compare past generations with what the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have been up against. And you think about it, there's so many opportunities year in and year out for 12 teams and now 14 teams to all have a chance to get to a Super Bowl. You're going back in time. The best team was the best team. Vince Lombardi's team was the best team. They won the championship. Paul Brown's team, George Halas's team, Curly Lambeau's team—they were—they were the best team. Now they didn't have the drastic or the uh, elongated or large or grown playoff structure that the National Football League has right now. So the fact that the Patriots won six Super Bowls and got to nine in a 20-year period is really something that I don't know if we're gonna see again in the history of the National Football League. We may see 14 teams make the playoffs year in and year out. We may see the playoff format grow a little bit more to include more teams. We may even see expansion from the 32 teams that are in the National Football League right now. But what we've seen with the Patriots over the last 20 years is something that it's hard to say that you've seen something better in the history of the National Football League. So that's why Bill Belichick is ranked number one as far as head coaches of all time. Number two, it's hard to not look at what Vince Lombardi did in a 10-year time frame as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. That's something that you're not going to see again the uh, the two nfl championships the two super i'm sorry the three nfl championships the two super bowls coming right at the time of the beginning of the super bowl era and the afl nfl merger i mean he proved dominance over that period of time so it's hard to put vince lombardi anybody anywhere else than where he is now if you look at every other coach that has coached in the history of the national football league it's kind of hard to put anybody else above Paul Brown Curly Lambeau was great George Hallis was great you can talk about the likes of Chuck Knoll and Tom Landry and Bill Parcells and Hank Stram and anybody else you want to put in there Bill Walsh Don Shula did they all have different degrees of where they would rank in a top 10 list when it comes to the best football coaches of all time they're all great It's hard to put somebody else on the same level as Paul Brown. Paul Brown was a solid college head coach. He, He basically was the creator of a national football league. And obviously we know the NFL not going back to the NFL when the NFL was its own entity compared to the AFL and the AFC and any other pro football leagues that were there. We're talking about national football league like a major league. So we're kind of redefining NFL to kind of be MLB, if you kind of understand me. If not, I'll I'll, I'll send you a, a cliff Notes version through email. But if you're thinking about Paul Brown creating a league, dominating that league for four years, and then bringing his team into the NFL where they went out there and won three more championships, uh, I mean, you're, you're looking at one of the greatest coaches of all time. Now, the unfortunate thing is, He creates another team, and the Cincinnati Bengals don't have the same success, so Paul Brown's finish isn't going out there winning more championships, but what he did with the Cleveland Browns is something that you'll probably never see happen in the history of sports again. He created a team in a league where he was kind of the co-founder of, went out there, won the championship every single year. How many leagues out there existed for four or more years and had one team win the championship each one of the four years? There's Paul Brown. There's the Cleveland Browns in the AAFC from 1946 to 1949. And that's it. Pretty damn friggin' special. And we talk about the Cleveland Browns as kind of being the lovable losers that they are right now. And this year maybe doesn't count. Browns a win away from getting into the playoffs. The likeliness is probably over fifty percent. They just gotta they gotta win their game. Now if they lose their game, they can still get in. Uh, a great season under first year head coach Kevin Stavansky, ten wins. You know, it's sad we're gonna see at least one team with ten wins not make the playoffs in, in pro in pro football in the, the AFC. And it's even weird because we're talking about a seventh team they added a playoff team. So if this was six teams, you'd talk about two teams with 10 or more wins that wouldn't be making the playoffs. Now, should the Browns be one of them? I think they've played enough. I think they deserve an opportunity to get to the playoffs. And they should be able to get off this schneid of the amount of years it's been since they've been in the playoffs. And things just haven't really worked out for them since they got a franchise back if they're losing the original Cleveland Browns to Baltimore. And it may come down to Cleveland and Baltimore for a playoff spot this year. But I go back and you think of some teams that just have some bad luck. The Detroit Lions. We get thrown Detroit Lions football every Thanksgiving. And there's a team that's really built no consistency. They got a good quarterback. They had one of the greatest wide receivers that we've seen in recent history in Calvin Johnson a couple years back. You know about Barry Sanders. You think about it, even if go back a little further Billy Sims was a great running back for them. You think of the Detroit Lions and you wonder why in a league where everybody's kind of on the same level, everybody has the same salary cap, everybody shares money in regards to the television deal that Wellington Mara instead of, you know, allowing for the richest teams to get richer, he decided to spread that revenue for the TV and the TV contracts amongst all the teams. You wonder why the Detroit Lions haven't had any success. Are they on the bigger and better things? Will the 2021 version of the Detroit Lions be similar to what we're talking about maybe right now as we get into this weekend of the Cleveland Browns and their chance of making it to the playoffs in the AFC? We'll see. But it's funny, like most fans... You know, you're looking at my generation, younger generation, maybe even older generation, kind of look at the Browns as a bad football team, a bad and poorly run organization, which they were for a while. But they basically emerged from as being one of the greatest teams, greatest organizations and winningest organizations at all professional sports. I mean, those seven championships that they won, the four AFC championships and the three NFL championships, it, you know, put them at the time as kind of the lead dog. It was them and the Green Bay Packers where you're talking about championships in the National Football League or what the equivalent of the National Football League is. Like I said, I'm saying NFL. I'm not talking about old NFL. I'm talking about NFL in the same way we're talking about like a major league in baseball. Like I said, I hope you understand little bit of a recap of the show today, and as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show. This is the PBS brought to you by JohnPale.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Pretty excited about Alabama, Ohio State. You got the 22-time national champion, uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, going up against the 17-time national champion, Ohio State Buckeyes. I, I love the victory by Ohio State over Clemson, kind of a revenge type of game, in the same scenario last year where Clemson won, a little bit of a controversial finish, but a close game that could have gone either way. Ohio State gets their revenge, pretty similar to what you saw in a regular season in the National Basketball Association last week when the Bucs whipped on the Miami Heat. Now you'd like to see them get their revenge in a playoff format and setting, but it's kind of the same, a, a similar start. Spoke a little bit about Becky Hammond getting a chance to coach the San Antonio Spurs after Greg Popovich got ejected. Hopefully uh, she has a chance to blaze a trail and become the first female head coach in the history of the National Basketball Association. You know, you look at Kim Eng getting the job as a general manager of the Miami Marlins, well-deserved. Hopefully we do see more women in leadership positions throughout professional sports. Spoke about Paul Brown, his impact on the National Football League, and he can make a case. I mean, if you talk about Paul Brown as being one of the most or the most influential head coaches in the history of the National Football League, I think you can make a case. I go with Belichick over him. I go with Lombardi over him. But it, but it's not, it's not an insult. Paul Brown really is one of the best coaches in the history of the National Football League. And odds are probably about 99.9% short, the Cleveland Browns were named after Paul Brown. Last thing we want to get into, a couple more MLB free agent predictions. We popped out the first 10. There hasn't been one player that's signed out of the 10 players that we've started out with, so I'll give a little recap. Trevor Bauer, I had going to the Angels. JT Realmuto, I had going to the Nationals. George Springer, Mets. DJ LeMahieu Yankees marzell ozuna toronto blue jays then i had marcus simeon cleveland indians because i believe francisco lador will be traded William hendricks to the los angeles dodgers nelson cruz back to the minnesota twins masahiro tanaka in kind of a surprise to the houston astros and justin turner joining marzell ozuna with the toronto blue jays so I'm going to do five more predictions and we're going to start with Tommy La Stella. Tommy La Stella, an infielder that kind of emerged as an everyday player with the angels last year, ends up being traded to the Oakland athletics and has kind of proven himself to be an everyday player. I think a lot of teams are going to look at him kind of as, as a, an absolute starting player that they could get for a little bit cheaper. And we talked about this offseason and how teams are going to look to try to save some money. I think the money ball philosophy is going to go to a lot more teams, teams that are having a hard time financially, teams that are coming off of, you know, many, many millions of dollars of losses from a truncated 60 game 2020 season that was played in front of no fans. Now, I think of Tommy LaStella kind of as a player that you could sign to a multi-year deal and not keep the average annual value of the salary up too much. And I think of the St. Louis Cardinals and Colton Wong, the Cardinals non-tendering Wong, because of the thought that he's going to make a little bit more money than they were probably willing to pay. And I think they could get away with on a multi-year deal with Tommy La Stella for, you know, a lot less in regards to what they have to pay for Colton Long. So my long-winded answer, as usual, is Tommy LaStella to the St. Louis Cardinals. Trevor Rosenthal, great finish last year. Actually, great season in 60 games for the Kansas City Royals then getting traded over to the San Diego Padres. Padres have been very busy this offseason getting Blake Snell, getting Lynn, the uh, infielder from Korea, and, of course, making a trade for you, Darvish. I could see Trevor Rosenthal going to the Astros, and I think the Astros are looking to rebuild their bullpen. You know, you look at Roberto Ozuna, Tommy John surgery, uh, you know, Ryan Presley is there, probably is their ninth inning guy right now. I think they need some stability in that part of their bullpen. And I think the Astros are expecting to compete this year. They're going to use, they're going to lose George Springer, they are probably not going to have Justin Verlander, even though I think Verlander is going to do everything he can to try to pitch, to try to get himself back on the mound uh, during this season in 2021. Um, I thought Tanaka would be a very good fit for them to kind of stabilize a rotation that's very young right now. And I like Rosenthal with the Astros kind of locking up that ninth inning. I think they could keep the average annual value down because Rosenthal has struggled. You know, outside of the 2020 season, he's had some bad times. He hasn't been able to establish himself. And I think if you're assuming that this guy is back, um, you're willing to keep the salary down, understanding that there's a little bit of a risk. So I like Rosenthal to the Astros. James Paxton. And I think of the Philadelphia Phillies. I think of the Phillies who aren't going to have Jake Arrieta back next year. I'd, I'd be surprised if he re-signed with them. You got Aaron Nola. You got Zach Wheeler. And I like the thought of Joe Girardi with a pitcher that's had a track record of success, but between injuries and inconsistency hasn't gotten it together over the last couple of years. I think the Phillies who are not looking to break the bank in regards to signing players to really long-term contracts and for high average annual value, I think can get James Paxton on a multi-year deal, maybe a little bit of incentives but probably to keep the AAV down. So I like James Paxton, Philadelphia, with the Phillies. Jake Otorisi. I think of the New York Mets missing out on Trevor Bauer. I think that they will make a strong effort. I don't think it's a bad thing if they end up with Bauer. I just think the Angels have a little more of a sense of urgency. I believe the Angels are looking at things like, you know what, we really got to bring a top starting pitcher. We got to bring a couple in there. You know, an offense that's added Rendon. You got Shoei Ohtani, where they signed over the last couple of years. He's helped them more as a position player than a pitcher. Joe Madden they brought there as their manager because they expect to win. They don't expect to kind of waste more of the prime of Mike Trout. You know, I think this is a great opportunity for them, and I I would be surprised if they didn't end up with Bauer. Just basically in the end, Artie Moreno saying, hey, let's just give him what he wants bring him here as our ace and bring in another pitcher and let's do this. So the Mets, who I think could finish second in the Bauer sweepstakes, I think will go to multiple pitchers when it comes to starters. And I can see them making a signing of Jake Odorisi. Final player world profile today, Jackie Bradley Jr., non-tendered by the Boston Red Sox. I think there's going to be a lot of possibilities. I like the Phillies. I like the thought of even him coming going back to Boston. Um, I think of the Houston Astros. I think of a handful of other teams that are like, you know what? We're going to value defense. We have enough offense in some other places. Let's bring in a, let's sharp our defense up the middle. I like the Royals. And I think the Royals are going to be surprisingly a little more active than in past other off seasons. They've already made a couple minor moves. You know, no pun intended. Mike Miner is signing. You know, they made the signing of Carlos Santana. You talk about teams that, you know, have kind of been active. You think of the Padres. Of course, you think of the Nats with the big move to get Josh Bell. You think of the Braves getting the couple pitchers that they end up getting in Morton and Smiley. And you also think of the Royals. The Royals have been active. They got Carlos Santana. They got Mike Minor, Jackie Bradley Jr. to show up some defense in center field and maybe getting a chance to kind of come out of his shell a little bit. He becomes, let's say, a a leadoff batter or a five or six hitter in a lineup as opposed to being in Boston and kind of being a number nine batter where the Red Sox are basically telling you we have no belief in you as an offensive player. Maybe he sprouts out. Maybe he becomes a pretty good offensive player. Maybe you see a little more out of Jackie Bradley Jr. wearing a uniform of the Kansas City Royals. So that's going to be it today. This is the Passball Show. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week on thursday god bless you and as always i'll see you on the other side